and welcome to Tell Us Where It Hurts, a conversation around health, well-being, and the many ways people across central Indiana are offering a helping hand. I'm your host, Chris Kirshner, and today's conversation is about housing insecurity and how it impacts the health of our community. Here in Indiana, researchers say more than 300,000 households are now at risk of eviction. I'm very good about paying all my bills on time, but you know, with everything going on right now, you know, you just don't know. Joining me for that discussion, Amy Nelson, Executive Director of the Fair Housing Center of Central Indiana, and Marshawn Wally, Public Policy Director for the African American Coalition of Indianapolis, and President and CEO of Black Onyx Management. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for having us. Glad to be here. So housing and health care, not everyone would instantly make the leap to connect those two. Uh, but it does, uh, they do impact each other. So h- how do both of you see housing connected to a person's health? Let's just start with that. And Amy, I'm going to start with you. If the COVID pandemic hasn't shown us how housing and healthcare are interlinked, I don't know what else I'm going to be able to provide to show that. We have a growing number of maps now showing the incidence of diabetes, asthma, blood pressure rates, all of which we know are impacted if somebody then has COVID and the likelihood then of having more dire outcomes as a result. But probably one of the most, you know, telling type statistics that we have is reports that show in Marion County, you drive across Marion County, you drive across our city of Indianapolis, which might take, you know, 45 minutes on on a tough traffic day, and you will pass neighborhoods that will have a difference of a 17-year life expectancy rate. Don't tell me that housing isn't health care. I, I totally agree. When you think about um, housing and it's linked to other social uh, indicators like uh, either education or death, um, food insecurity, uh, lead in water and sy- water systems. Um, there's just a whole host of factors that come into play when you think about neighborhoods as well as homes. And so um, those those two issues are inextricably linked. And um, unfortunately, when we're looking at um, housing, particularly in the black community, um, you're seeing a challenge with home ownership rates. They've jumped up a little bit, um, which there might be some sign from hope there, but um, that that jump up does is coinciding with you know escalating violence in, in um, our community. And so um, lots of concern about the connection between housing and where people live, their sense of safety, their sense of mental health, as well as um, you know where they actually live. There's a couple of topics that, that each of you talked about that I want to make sure that we delve into a little further. Let's start with that zip code information, Amy, that you mentioned, the 17-year life expectancy difference. And I think it might have been you that said this or a presentation that your organization put together, quote, your zip code determines your destiny in Marion County. Let's talk a little bit more about that. So why is that? Why, why is there such a big gap? among zip codes? Well, when you think about it, I mean, housing really is the, the central core of so much of what you can obtain. Unfortunately, the growing number of studies show that just based upon a child's zip code, researchers can determine whether or not that child is likely to graduate from high school, whether that child will be incarcerated, what income that child will make in their future years. And all that comes down to zip code. And this comes back to, I I should point out that April is Fair Housing Month. And we always, um, every year, want to celebrate fair housing laws that were passed in 1968 that were supposed to stop housing discrimination from happening. Yet we certainly know that's still happening in our community. Issues such as redlining, discriminatory, uh, discriminatory appraisals, which are making the news right now, 
all are the inability for black and brown to be able to build wealth, pass down to their children, be able to then determine their future. Again, it comes back to your zip code of where you started out. And it shouldn't be like that. It should be based upon your achievements, what, how hard you work. Uh, it, it unfortunately just has not proven to be true. Define redlining for people who aren't familiar with that term or, or how that came about. Yeah, so redlining was a term that was actually coined in the 1960s based upon the ma uh, maps that were created in the 1930s by the Homeowners Alone Corporation. And that created these maps. And essentially what they did for Indianapolis and a number of major cities across the country is the presence of people of color, certain religious groups, certain ethnicity, lowered scores on the map. And essentially then they drew red lines around neighborhoods and said, we will not make loans there. And this was during the same time period that our modern day mortgage financing system was being created, coming you know out of World War II. And then there was a massive upgrade to try to get more people to have home opportunities of home ownership. But that was that ended up only being offered to white people and not even all white people, only certain types of white people. And we still see the impact of those red lines around those same neighborhoods still today in those neighborhoods still being segregated, having lower homeownership rates, having the presence of, uh, of environmental justice type issues, substandard housing, the list goes on because it never got the adequate investment that it should have gotten in the very beginning. Are you seeing indications of that, Marshawn, in, in your in your business and as you're dealing with people? And certainly, um, we're seeing a vicious return of um, basically gentrification, and um, part of that is when you look at the um, old red line districts, you're seeing folks move into these locations and driving up um, home values, and we think it's creating tension um, within those communities, and it's also escalating home pricings, and I think it's creating challenges uh, for folks to stay in those communities, and so we're really concerned about um, what this current real estate market is doing, the influx of cash, and how it's impacting um, particularly communities of color. Let's talk real quick about the, that, the current housing market, because it feels like, as a result of COVID or what have you, that, that prices have just gone through the roof, yeah. or it's a seller's market, I guess you could call it that. What does that mean in terms of what we're talking about with fair housing and getting people healthy housing options as well? Well, unfortunately, for my view, it seems to um, make the, the task of home ownership um, a bit more difficult, especially for first-time home buyers. They're competing for um, homes that are, that, well, basically they're being priced out of the market. Um, we're also seeing the fact that there's just not a lot of um, quality stock, housing stock for different kinds of family situations or individual situations, and so it's creating a lot of uh, tension. I did note um, in previous um, Previous years, we've seen the numbers go down as far as the home ownership rate. We, when we look at the home ownership rate for 2019, it ticked up a little bit. We don't know if that's an anomaly or if that's a positive potential trend, um, but the number is still so low at 35%. Um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of wealth um, that's not going to be obtained through housing if we keep numbers that low. And just to be clear, you're talking about home ownership within the, the black, black community. Black yes. community. Yes. Okay. Fair Housing Act, you, you brought it up. So so this was supposed to even the playing field a little bit on a national level. Have we seen that? It doesn't sound like we've seen it yet or we are not seeing it currently here in Indianapolis and Marion County. 
No. Now, certainly the passage of the Federal Fair Housing Act back in April 1968 was a huge uh, piece of legislation, and it was desperately needed. Uh, But the Fair Housing Act has never had adequate enforcement to truly get the dream of equal housing opportunity for all. Uh, we've, we've never been, had an opportunity for individuals to truly understand what their rights and options are. A, a fully funded and aggressive uh, movement to ensure that fair housing testing is occurring to stop identified discrimination, to make it easier for people moving forward to get justice for what occurred to them. There just has not been adequate funding, adequate support within uh, policies as well. We have so many gaps in this area. There are groups that are not protected under fair housing laws that are commonly discriminated against, you know, here today. The Fair Housing Act Act itself needs to be updated. It needs to be expanded. We need to take care of problems that have arisen between district district court rulings in, in parts of the country. But there's a general fear of opening up the Federal Fair Housing Act to debate, given what happened to the Voting Rights Act when that occurred previously. When we had a discussion about food insecurity, I, I, I asked them to define what does that mean? I mean, what does it mean to be food insecure? So I guess I'm going to ask the same thing with housing. What, what is fair housing? What is what is a secure housing environment? Is it is it being able to own a home? Is it being able to rent? Is it is it the condition of the home itself? Kind of give me an idea of what we're talking about when we're saying fair housing. Well, um, when I think about fair housing within the context of the African American community, I actually start with renting. Um, rent being rent burdened, which means um, having to pay more than thirty percent of your um, income to housing creates a lot of challenges on budgets, particularly when you think about the fact that there's um, that the black family median income in Marion County is only around twenty eight thousand um, dollars. On the other side, um, I'm very concerned about, from a fair housing perspective, the devaluation of black homes in predominantly black neighborhoods. Um, a study has shown that up to around $18,000, um, a black homeowner might lose that from an assessment um, when they try to sell their home or f- from just its valuation. And so from a fair housing perspective, those are some of the things I'm thinking about. From a security perspective, it's really just about feeling safe. Um, and that's both, you know, in COVID-19, it's, there's some other social dynamics about, you know, domestic violence and things of that nature. But there's also just violence in communities and just having healthy communities. So um, having the right amenities like sidewalks in your community to make sure that you can, can walk uh, safely to places. Um, those are some things that I think about. For us at the Fair Housing Center, it's having safe, affordable, accessible housing that's free from discrimination. And as Marshawn mentioned, you know, that that is that may be individuals who just may want to rent, not become homeowners, or individuals who want to become homeowners, but it's that individual's decision and that the market uh, or that uh, circumstances beyond their control is not determining whether or not that they have those rental or home ownership opportunities that come in. Marshawn also mentioned the devaluation of black assets in black neighborhoods. Uh, we have seen here uh, since last fall a growing number of stories when it comes to discriminatory appraisals where you have mixed race couples or uh, or African Americans or blacks who 
are refinancing with the with the low interest rates that we've had here recently and their home is devalued just because the occupants are black or just because it's located in a black neighborhood one positive thing we have seen is more of those stories making the news because the only way we're going to be able to address those disparities is by shining a bright light on them so that we can correct what is occurring in those situations is it obvious that it's occurring to, to the people that are looking for homes or trying to sell their homes is it obvious that these discriminatory practices are happening? I'm trying to help people understand what they can do to take action. It is very challenging. My office does not receive very many complaints about lending discrimination. Yet when we conduct fair housing testing where we send in people posing as prospective home seekers, uh, that discrimination is uncovered through our fair housing testing. It's hard for people to determine it in these more complicated transactions. You're relying on that loan officer, that appraisal. They're the expert. Uh, you're the homeowner, and you're counting on them to be truthful with you as part of that. Your assumption isn't that race or your ethnicity is playing a role in that, yet it so often does, and it can be an uphill battle sometimes in challenging that. But there are resources that are available. There are opportunities for us to address that. And I always say to people, you know, trust your gut. If something just doesn't feel right, report it, and we will see if we can find evidence of violations. COVID certainly has had an impact on a number of areas. And as you started out this conversation, Amy, you mentioned certainly on the housing uh, housing market. And, and now that we're in the pandemic, before COVID, we had housing issues, right? Fair housing issues as they related to health. Can we talk a little bit about what it looked like before the pandemic, if you can remember that? I know it feels like we've been in this for 10 years, but do you, what, were, what was the situation here in Indianapolis and Marion County before the pandemic? Well, before the pandemic, Indianapolis had an eviction problem. We were 14th highest in the country for eviction filings, and we were second highest in the country for court-ordered evictions. We had a significant substandard housing problem. There was a growing number of media reports about people living in substandard housing conditions. When they reported it to public health, they were being retaliated against as a result. And then we had an affordability problem. People are being priced out. Marshawn mentioned gentrification. Indianapolis is 12th highest in the country for number of gentrifying neighborhoods. People are being displaced and pushed into smaller census tracts that then is only where the poor people are essentially allowed to live. All of that was already happening before the COVID pandemic. And now we have the pressure of the COVID pandemic on top of all that. That has not made anything at all better. And then actions certainly by our Indiana General Assembly this year are not helping the situation at all. What can people do? Where can they turn? You mentioned the legislature. That's kind of going to be a big picture. But but where can people turn? And Marshawn, you, you were Yeah. Gonna... So I know that the uh, Indy Rent Renters uh, Program has opened, and I think um, my, my colleague here knows more about that than I do, but what I wanted to highlight was the mental health component to having um, anxiety around housing and anxiety around whether or not um, you're going to get evicted, whether or not um, things are, whether or not you can have control or the ability to fix things that are wrong, whether, you know, how you feel about being in substandard housing and how you might internalize that. Um, just in the way that you approach life and engage with others. So when we think about one of the things that we've learned in our engagement, even on the community violence issue, has been that housing is a key component to this. If you don't feel safe at home, if you don't feel safe that you have a place that you can go to be safe, um, you're going to do a lot of different things and you'll be put in more of a survival mode. And so um, with that, I 
the rental program. I know that that's just kicked off. I think that's something that people can take advantage of. Yeah, so Indianapolis just relaunched their rental assistance program, and I encourage everybody to apply to that particular program to see if they're eligible. It does have a cap on the amount of months that you might be eligible for. It does require that the landlord participate in that program, and that's been a barrier. There was a recent report that found that over 9,000 tenants were not able to access rental assistance funds, even though they qualified here in Indianapolis because their landlord refused to participate in the program. That's 9,000 people who potentially now may have an eviction filing uh, on their record that then is going to follow them around in their housing search because of background checks that are done nowadays by many tenant screening companies. So we've got a huge problem here. We had a problem before the COVID pandemic. The problem just simply has not going away. We need to see local uh, statewide action to do a comprehensive review of our housing policies and make substantive change. And that did not happen this year in the Indiana General Assembly. It needs to happen, and uh, we continue to call for that. You mentioned the mental health aspect, and from what I understand, suicide rates are also associated with evictions and foreclosures. Just the idea, I mean, owning a home should be is, is one of the most basic things that someone should have. So we used to think that that was um, consistent with the American dream. And when what we're seeing now is a bifurcation of the economy, um, there are a lot of folks that are doing well in this K economy where um, we had the pandemic and some folks, you know, their stock, if they were in the stock market, they went up. If they had the ability to work from home, um, they were not really as impacted. But if you were, um, you know, a worker that had to go to work, uh, maybe you were making less money, maybe you got fired because, you know, uh, and, and so now you're in a situation where you don't know how you're going to make housing payments and you're facing this eviction notice. We're, we're in a, really in a tough spot, and I really appreciate the advocacy of Amy Nelson at the General Assembly um, as far as leading that charge on, um, you know, trying to fight the good fight at the legislature. But it, it, it is tough. Um, we used to think that that was part of the American dream. Um, hopefully one day it will become part of it again. Now, you had mentioned, you know, there was a study that was done after the foreclosure crisis, which was the last time we had this this hor horrific housing uh, pandemic crisis that had occurred. And out of that came research studies that certainly showed that eviction and, and foreclosure filings impacted suicide rates. The, the potential loss of your housing and everything that comes into that is devastating. And again, it comes back to, again, how is housing not health? Um, it literally is your life. What about some of the lesser known health issues that might arise from, from inadequate housing? You know, you mentioned, I think, asthma, and there, there's just some other health conditions that, again, people may not necessarily connect to housing, but that certainly has an impact. Yeah, particularly, and we think about for uh, our family and friends with disabilities, their, their inability to be able to access adequate transportation. Marshawn has mentioned sidewalks. So many of our neighborhoods don't have sidewalks. People are walking in the street. We so often hear about uh, individuals being killed because they're walking on a street, especially at night, because there isn't adequate sidewalks. There isn't sufficient lighting in our neighborhoods. Uh, all that impacts safety, of course, that's there. The lack of investment that has occurred in those where we have older homeowners who have lived in neighborhoods that have suffered from disinvestment and might be living then in substandard housing. And this might be a home that they own, but they can't get a loan to improve their 
the, because their home is so devalued in that particular neighborhood. So we need to, again, I keep coming back to this, but it's just something that we have been working on here uh, inside the Indiana General Assembly. We need to see housing uh, be looked at as a state policy and it and for it to be looked at not just from the industry's perspective but also from the consumer and also from the renter what can those renters do what can the consumer do what can those listening do i mean is it just something as simple as contact your legislator or what else can they do to take action to to improve the situation yeah i mean we need to have reach out very often when we are testifying on certain bills during the session, we often hear, well, I didn't hear, a uh, legislator will say, well, I didn't hear any problems from tenants about this or from homeowners about this. And so they need to be reaching out. But but the burden shouldn't have to be on them. The General Assembly is not easy for people to participate in. It's during the day. We had the pandemic this year. You know, people are working I mean, it, it shouldn't, the burden shouldn't be on them in order to do that. So I keep coming back to that this needs to be the legislature taking this action. But, of course, people can contact their state legislators. They can be active in, in following what's happening at the city county uh, council level within there. Um, we're going to have an election coming up again soon. There's going to be a number of candidate forums. Asking housing-themed questions as part of that is going to be helpful as well. Marshawn, what about in the in the in the business world? As business leaders, you know, you're a business leader. What what can business leaders do? No, I I would agree with Amy. I think we need to make this an issue at the General Assembly. Um, the city has tried to do some work on tenant landlord relations, and unfortunately, the General Assembly is opted to um, interfere and intercede with that. And so um, when we're ha going through the next election cycle, I think it's going to be important for businesses to weigh in and to make this an issue of concern because it's connected to so many things, uh, including health. And so um, I'd also recommend folks following, you know, the work that Fair, Fair Housing in Central Indiana is doing. Um, always good information when I get an email from Amy. Are we compared to other cities our size? I mean, have we made that comparison? Is there another city we should be modeling? Is there, you know, are there other areas we should look to to say, you know, we should be doing that. Why aren't we doing that? Or we're doing better than that. You know, there are a number of cities, particularly issues around affordable housing and, and what we call inclusionary zoning, that have taken action to be able to ensure that there are more affordable housing options in our community. Unfortunately, our General Assembly took away that right of cities to do that. So, yes, there are a number of cities that we can look to, but we are not allowed to. Our city's toolbox was reduced by the General Assembly. We do not have the options that many other cities have to address many of our housing problems. Final thoughts? What's one thought you'd like to leave people with? I think um, housing needs to be a part of the public policy discussion. Um, we are facing an uphill battle, but it, it is a critical issue. It connects to so many different things from health to food insecurity to your very life, um, as Amy mentioned at the very top of this, of this uh, show. So um, it needs to be a public policy concern and, and a major issue as we continue through um, election cycles. Try to be connected. Try to, you know, reach out when there's a call for action. Try to reach out to your state rep or your state senator because it's very important when those type of call of actions, you know, come across if you're at all able to do that. But also just start asking more questions of those who claim to represent you. Uh, we need them to know that they're going to be held accountable. Amy Nelson, Marshawn Wally, thank you so much for your time, for your insight, and all you're doing for your communities. Thank you. Thank you.
I'd like to thank our guests for being part of today's discussion and thank you for being part of our journey as we all become better listeners. I'm Chris Kirshner, and this has been Tell Us Where It Hurts. Until next time.